All right, everybody. After a long hiatus from the podcast, we are finally back with some new episodes. Uh, consider this a new season. Uh, I had to take some time off with the Tokyo Olympics, the prep for that, as well as finally having my first child uh, that I have talked about a lot on this podcast. And this podcast um, was started because I was expecting my first child. And so Jack Hartford was born at the end of May, and then we went right into the Olympic prep, right into Tokyo throughout July and August. And now finally, Finally getting back to the podcast and giving you guys some good content and some really good episodes uh, coming up here in the near future. The first one starting today, I am joined by Eric McMahon. Eric is the coaching and sports science program manager at the National Strength and Conditioning Association, the NSCA. And with this position, Eric is taking on initiatives to simply make strength and conditioning a better, more sustainable profession. So he's the perfect guest to kind of kick off season two of the Dad Strength Podcast because Eric is also a father of four. He had to manage uh, four kids during COVID, during a move um, from Texas into Colorado Springs uh, where when he started working for the NSCA. Uh, and this was his first job outside of the traditional organizational strength and conditioning uh, profession. And for him to get in with the organization at the level of the NSCA, he can really create change in this job. And he brings up some exciting initiatives. We dive into deep detail about how we can make strength and conditioning more sustainable, as well as him telling stories about his time as a father and as a coach. So today I am very, very happy to be back. I'm, I'm super stoked on this next season of the Dad Strength Podcast with about five or six episodes that I already have recorded coming out for you. So thank you again for listening. And this is Eric McMahon from the NSCA. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Dad Strength Podcast. I am super excited to be joined by Eric McMahon today. He is the NSCA Coaching and Sports Science Program Manager, and he started with the NSCA in January of 2020. And since then, he has also been the host of the NSCA Coaching Podcast, which for all the strength coaches out there, you know that that has been delivering great content to us coaches uh, for years, and it's been leveled up a lot when Eric came on there and started running it. So Eric, I really appreciate everything you've done for the profession, all the great content you bring to the table, and I appreciate you coming on today. No, man, I, I appreciate you. I, I really enjoy this podcast. This is one of the ones I listened to. And uh, when you reached out to have me on, I was, uh, I jumped at the opportunity. Um, you know, it's funny, I never, never before I uh, got into this job did I think I was ever going to be a podcast host. Uh, and uh, it's definitely something that uh, I've challenged myself with to uh, bring great content to the field and reach out to a number of new voices uh, and just great voices in the profession. Uh, but I but I just want to say thanks for what you're doing because this is a really great message that you're bringing as well. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. It's been a lot of fun so far. And you know, I always say my goal with this is that young coaches like myself or that young coaches that are just getting started out can listen to these episodes and know that this is a sustainable career path uh, and a, a career path that you can be a family man, a really good father and a really good coach at the same time. And with that said, I, I kind of want to want you to dive right into your introduction because you have been a great coach and a great father for many years. You have four kids. You've been a strength and conditioning coach, I think, for going on about, what, 16, 17 years 
something like that. Um, I know that you spent a bunch of time in the, in major league baseball. Um, and that's kind of all I want to briefly spoil. I want you to kind of run with that and give us a deep dive into your journey as a strength and conditioning coach, as well as your journey as a father. Yeah. Um, perfect. I, I, you know, I grew up in the Northeast Burlington, Vermont, and, uh, I actually met my wife, uh, the first day in my junior year of high school. Um, it's not like we were dating anything back then, but it, it was just, you know, we knew each other and, uh, became friends and, 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 um, and then kind of just life, life as, as usual, you, you graduate high school, you go to college. I went to St. Lawrence university, played football. And that's really where I fell in love with strength and conditioning. Uh, it gave me the ability to get on the field as an athlete. And, uh, I immediately realized the value and the impact you could have, uh, in a strength and conditioning role. And that was a division three program. Our football coaches were bringing, uh, bringing a lot of the content to us and the, in the, in the programming, and they did a great job, but you learn a lot, you know, any program you're in, you learn a lot of, maybe this could be a little better, or, or this was really great. And, uh, you know, I had a few coaches at the time that when I express interest in strength and conditioning, they're like, Hey, well, you should look at the national strength and conditioning association. And, uh, not too long later, I bought my first essentials text, uh, not for any course or anything. I was just really motivated to pursue it and, uh, start, started getting the journals and reading those as much as I could. And, that really began the journey for me. I went to Springfield College for my, for my master's and just the field work we did as graduate students there uh, got me into professional baseball, which, um, you know, I'd always worked at a minor league ballpark in Burlington, Vermont, and that uh, was just always an interest for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I got a uh, call from the Brewers. I got my first opportunity in the minor leagues. They were going to send me out to an affiliate in Helena, Montana, place I'd never thought I would go, uh, that part of the country. And, uh, wow, it was just such an awesome couple of years there that took me to Huntsville, Alabama and, uh, for, for double a, uh, after I finished my time at, at Springfield, so I could be there for the full season. And, uh, then I came on full-time with the Texas Rangers, Bakersfield, California, Frisco, Texas. And that was really around the time that, um, when I came on with the Rangers, I had a lot going on in my life. I, uh, I was working with the MLB Europe program. So I was going to Terenia, Italy in the off season and working with athletes there and wow. just such a great experience. But I happened to, uh, run into Meredith, my wife, uh, when I was home, uh, after my double a season with the Brewers and, um, yeah, we just hit it off after a number of years and, uh, started dating. And, um, uh, next thing, you know, I'm headed out to a, another season and it's, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this thing is either, you know, we're still talking on the phone and things are going well. And, I, and it, it gets to the point I'm like, well, you know, you can come out and, spend some time and, uh, and, uh, let's just see how this thing is going. And, and not too long later, you know, we were, we were engaged and she was along, uh, for the, for the ride with me. And we were, uh, 
you know, we were in Bakersfield, California for a couple seasons. Those were her first couple seasons in, in baseball. And, uh, you know, fortunately she had family up in the Northwest in Seattle. And so we were able to uh, stay on the West coast, uh, during, during our off seasons there. And then when I got promoted to double a with the Rangers in Frisco, uh, we kind of made that our home base. I wouldn't say we really had a home base before that we were anywhere we needed to be. Yeah. And, uh, but Frisco, we, you know, we were there about 10 years, uh, six of those, I was with the Frisco Rough Riders, double A team. And I would say, you know, I've been more fortunate than, uh, a lot of coaches that have had to bounce around, uh, to a number of organizations in that amount of time. And, and I was just, uh, really fortunate with the opportunities that I had with the Texas Rangers and, and the ability to progress in that organization. And, uh, and it's funny, right when you feel like you're getting pretty settled and we got into a house and uh, things were, uh, you know, and, and we had our we had our son Colin and, and um, you know, then I had an opportunity to go to AAA and then a year later I'm in the big leagues. And fortunately, the major league team is right down the road from Frisco. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's funny things things move really fast in this profession where we um I don't think we ever get into it thinking we're going to be stationary in one place for an extremely long period of time. And when the NSCA opportunity uh, came about, you know, this is something that this is an organization that gave me opportunities to pursue something that was so uh, important to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, just knowing Scott Caulfield and, and the organization over the years and just being able to grow my network. Um, I just felt like it was such a great give back opportunity professionally, um, maybe a little bit of a sell, uh, for, for the wife, yeah. you know, Hey, I know we've been here 10 years, but, um, what do you think about this? And, uh, but we're really enjoying Colorado. It's a little bit, uh, more of the four seasons that we grew up with, uh, being from Vermont, being in, in the mountains. Um, so, um, yeah, I just love that I can give uh, all our kids a really great experience uh, through, you know, through doing this as a profession, being a strength and conditioning coach, and then coming here and kind of being in this more administrative type role. Yeah, and you mentioned the kids. Now, you're, you're a father to four kids, a, a boy yeah. and three girls. Um, which is obviously just a lot to manage in and of itself. Uh, but I want to go back to um, when, when you had your first kid. Uh, I'm assuming you were in Texas at that time, right? Uh, that's probably when you were in Frisco. Mm -hmm. Was there a little bit there where you, you finally, you and your wife were finally able to kind of settle into a place and you knew that you had the ability to be there a little more long-term that made you want to start a family? Um, or, you know, because like you said, we don't get into this profession thinking that we're going to be at one place for an extended period of time. Right. And so whenever you did finally kind of maybe have that realization of like, oh, I could see myself being here for a while, you know, like you said, maybe we can settle down here, start a family. What was that process like as a young coach? Yeah, I was probably the one that was uh, a little less settled, uh, in that I didn't know how long I'd be anywhere, you know, and, uh, but I think one of the things that you realize is that, you know, it's, oh, I want to wait till I'm ready to have a family, or I want to wait till I'm ready to buy a house. And what you realize is you're never a hundred percent ready. You know, you, you, there's always, 
there's always a lot to it that you just don't know until you, um, until you go for it. And, uh, and it's something that, um, I think that really speaks true to, to our experience. Uh, it, I wouldn't say, you know, it, it's funny. I remember when, when Colin was born, we, you know, we went from, you immediately are like, what did I do with all that time before? Like where, you know, like, what was I doing? You completely forget, you know? And, uh, but, you know, I, I think of that time because Colin being the oldest, you know, um, he's eight and then, uh, Amelia's five, Claire's three and Nora is one. So we, uh, we're in straight you know, zone yeah. coverage all the time, prevent defense, just trying not to get deep, deep here. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, Colin had such a unique uh, early few years where he was at the ballpark every day, uh, you know, running around for a few minutes before the game and, and just knowing the guys and, and being out on the line with us sometimes. And uh, I think back on that, and that was a really special experience for me as a father. Uh, being able to share this profession with him. Uh, and uh, Amelia got a little bit of that. Uh, and then this is a new chapter now for our youngest two who maybe won't remember that. And mm -hmm. so I think about, um, I think about, you know, I grew up actually on a University of Vermont, pretty much on a college campus. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think of how much fun I had and how, I viewed that as such a unique experience that maybe other kids weren't having. And, and uh, yeah. so I've always kind of held on to that of, I want to give my kids, you know, something unique that's, that's their own, that uh, helps them in creating and forming their identity and, and just understanding who they are. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, Colin will still ask me about those early days in the ballpark or, Hey dad, remember when we were playing catch and, um, you yeah, know, really funny story, you know, we're out there, <laughs> we're out there at, uh, the ballpark in Arlington with the, uh, major league Texas Rangers and, uh, the pitchers are playing catch. So I, you know, and they're going down the line and me and him, uh, I had Colin with me that day and we're right on the, uh, fringe of the, uh, outfield mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I throw the ball to him and he's still learning to catch and dropping and he picks it up and throws it. And then after a few, he just throws his glove on the ground and he's like, dad, I'm so mad. I'm, I'm the worst one here. <laughs> How old was he when he said that? I mean, he was, he was like, like six, you know, That's six, awesome. six, six, seven, awesome. I'm the worst one here. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm right with you. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, these are the best players in the world. Like he's up kid. Come on. But I just love it, you know, and things like that, you know, uh, you never forget that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, it, 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 being in the minor leagues, you know, um, Colin and Amelia and, and, and Meredith, my wife, you know, they traveled with us to, to some some cities just uh being in that texas league was great because every all the cities were pretty close mm -hmm. within a few hours so uh got to just travel a little bit and uh yeah like i said this is a new chapter nsca colorado springs and uh i i do a little bit of fun recording with the kids on the podcast uh 
just uh, my daughter thinks she's the podcast host sometimes. And uh, so we just have a lot of fun and try to include them in the process and let them know how, you know, if you work hard, you know, how great, um, you know, a path you can carve out and a niche you can carve out for yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really meaningful to me as a parent. And I know uh, my wife would echo that too. Yeah. And I actually want to kind of dive into that a little deeper because, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, back on episode three, Jason Ployer was talking about, we always try to figure out how to spend the most time around our kids possible. So obviously there's nothing wrong in that. Right. But it's also really rewarding for the kids to see the hard work being done and understand kind of why you're doing it, what you're doing, right? And also to see the amount of passion that you're pouring into your work as well. And so, you know, you can start back with with your first son uh, whenever you're with the Texas Rangers, because like you said, he was around the park a lot. And I think that's, that it's a very rewarding experience for both the, the parents and the kid through that for many reasons, but kind of dive into maybe lessons that he learned specifically from you along that way. Um, as well as, you know, whenever you would have those long days at the park or you would be traveling with the team or whenever you had to spend longer periods of time away from the house, how you communicated that with your kids to make sure that they didn't just think that dad is gone. They kind of knew what dad was doing, right? And uh, knew that dad was doing something that he loved in order to help the family or provide for the family. I know that's a very deep level of understanding for children to have. Um, but kind of dive into that a little more of how you, um, taught those lessons to your kids along that way. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, and I wouldn't say that I've always had a great say curriculum for how to deliver that. You know, I think as a parent, there's always going to be things you're, you're figuring out as you go. And, um, you know, obviously we sign up for a lot of travel with our teams in this, in this business. I remember when he was born and driving away uh, to spring training mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to be gone six, seven weeks. That was really hard. That was a gut check and it became a gut check. Maybe not as much as the first time, but it became a gut check every year uh, mm-hmm. doing that. Uh, just knowing, yeah, you know, you can bring him out for spring break or things like that. Um, but it's really, you know, it's tough to explain that to a three-year-old or yeah. a four-year-old yeah. of why dad's not around. Um, one thing I would say that we're just in a really great time. I think 2020 is, uh, speaks well to that of community. We can communicate uh, in a lot of different ways now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really just try to communicate even now in this role that when I travel and when I'm away, it's something I have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, that I'm not, present yeah and i'm not uh available and they can uh there's a number of ways that you know know, mom can get in in touch with me or you know when you do something awesome you know like let me know you know Mm -hmm. like i want to know i'm on my phone all the time uh you know i want to know what's going on and so we stay pretty connected and technology has been a huge thing there to help us uh but yeah, I, I think it's a, I think that's something that all, a lot of parents go through, not just in this field. And, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. and that's something that uh, I try to bring that, you know, to the family too, is that while we have a lot of differences in this profession, it's not completely different from 
so many industries out there that uh, people travel for work. Um, there's a lot of people that travel even more than us. So I think that's, uh, I try to, I try to stay grounded with that because it gives me good perspective for um, the family time we do have making it quality time. And I think when you're in, when you're in this profession, I think we learn that that's very intuitive for us because it's uh, that's the challenge, right? You know um, I think we, the more time we have, the more we can take it for granted at times, you know, and, and when, uh, you know, I think of in season, you know, all my baseball years, I have so many memories of the family during that time, yeah. you know, maybe even more than the off season when I think about it. And, uh, it just makes me think that, you know, like anything, when you, when you're ramped up and you're in game day mode of your life, you know, that's when that's where the action is. And that's where you're going to feel most fulfilled mm -hmm. really on all fronts and family. I think, uh, you know, that, that, that's really the most important thing, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, giving great opportunities for the kids and the family. So now how, how long did it take you to have that perspective? You know, when you've had your first kid as a really young coach, uh, were you one of the coaches that at first, you know, it maybe took a little bit of time for you to be able to be fully present and pull yourself away from work? Were you still feeling pressures, from work, you know, and like you said, this is, this is not that much different from a lot of other jobs. Right. But just that sense of, um, you know, kind of always being on, I think is something that a lot of strength coaches have in common, right. Where, um, mm -hmm. so how, how long did it take you after having your first kid, um, in order to be fully present on the home front and kind of maybe be able to put the phone down or leave work at work and then just be with the family. I'd say that, that, kind of depends on the day for me yeah. still even at times <laughs> but uh and i will say that you know every time you know you know with four kids it's a lot different than when we had one or two and uh i think you know i try to think that there's if you're doing this right professionally there's always going to be a day you bring something home with you from work you know, cause, because we care, because mm -hmm. we care. And if we worked in a bank or we worked at a store and if, if you don't bring something home with you, it would show you that you don't care about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that is not our profession at all. So again, I, I don't think it's abnormal in any, for, for any profession where people care to have things you bring home. I think it's how you, um, how you manage, you know, whether that's your frustration or your excitement or just uh, realize that, wow, they, you know, they've, they've had a full day without me. I've got to really uh, dive in and uh, see what's up with them, you yeah. know, check in, check in with each of them and with every, you know, with four kids, it's a lot of, a lot of people to check in with, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think it's just an ongoing process that you keep working at and keep getting better at. I, uh, I would not say that, uh, I've perfected it mm -hmm. in any, you know, in, by any means, I, but I also am someone that I've, um, I've never had a lot of outside hobbies. I've really, 
Uh, I've been very motivated by my work uh, and by my family. Mm-hmm. And I can really keep things simple there uh, for the most part. And, uh, and that helps me a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I know that's different for everybody. And I think that's, um, that's the challenge, right? You know, be present on, be present on, on both fronts. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's extremely hard And some days are going to be harder than others. And I just know that I'm not perfect mm-hmm. and, uh, but I'm going to keep working at it. And that's kind of the approach I take. Yeah. I, I think that's a huge point to bring up, right? Because, you know, two things there, one, you, like you said, you know, it's just work again, going back to the cliche work-life balance, right? It's not really a balance. It's more of that seasonal approach that people are kind of now talking about. Like you said, if you're doing it right, you're going to have things that you have to do at home, right? You're, you're going to have work that you're bringing home with you. Um, and so balancing that and knowing again, when to do it, and then also knowing that you're not going to be perfect, but keep striving to be, to be better. Right. So I think that's a, a huge point of that. And I know that I'm going to be dealing with that coming up as we have our first kid, you know, what, five, probably five weeks before the Olympics start. So that's going to be a big thing for me. Right. <laughs> but, but again, <laughs> the seasonal approach and just, just trying to be as good as, as possible with it. Um, I do want to touch on your transition to the NSCA, um, you know, after being a coach for so many years was getting out of, you know, I'll, I'll put it in a very cliche term, but is getting out of kind of on the floor coaching. Was that a move driven by family? Was it, were you, were you looking for something that maybe was a little easier to balance or was it just a good opportunity that maybe now you do see it as, Oh, wow, this gave me a lot more time with the family. I know you've been working remotely for about a year now, but so that's a little different, but what was that transition like? And what was that thought process like whenever you uh, maybe were considering getting out of coaching and then the NSC came along or whenever the NSC came along and you're like, Oh, this is a, a really good opportunity. What was that like for you? Yeah. I'd say like a lot of things, you know, timing, timing is really everything. And this is something that, um, you know, so I came through Colorado Springs in 2017 with, we played the uh, Sky Sox, uh, AAA team that doesn't exist anymore, but, uh, we were, I was with the Round Rock Express and we'd come in and a few times, uh, and, and play them. And, connected with Scott Caulfield out here, went down to the headquarters for the first time. There was actually a, an event, an NSCA hockey event there that day. And, um, I just remember checking it out and I, I definitely remember thinking, you know what, I've always paid attention to where the the hotbeds in our field are, where the sport-based communities are, that there would be great potential for careers. I, I felt that Frisco and in the Dallas area was one of those, especially in the private first private sector coaching opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado Springs is great with all the Olympic, um, NGBs and, and, and sports that are here, obviously the NSCA in our field. And so this, it, it just was something that I was like, you know, if, if that opportunity, um, and I think I even told Scott this, I said, Hey, when you're done with this, I'm, I might want it, you know, I might, I might want this opportunity from you. And, uh, and we, and it's something that I've just, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's something that really, uh, stuck with me, obviously, you know, but the transition out of on the floor coaching, you know, it's something I talk to my kids about now, or like, you know, my, 
my son always likes to say, Oh yeah, my dad was a, was a coach and, um, you know, and, and now he works for the NSCA and, and, and then, or my daughter will get it confused and, you know, say, Oh, well, uh, you know, he's a coach and Colin's like, well, he's not a coach anymore. And then it's like, well, you know, <laughs> and I, it's <laughs> been demoted by your son. I, I know <laughs> they, they, they knock me down as much as they can, but, um, uh, but it's something that it's like, you know, I, I, I believe there's a lot of, uh, a lot of need for people supporting us in yeah. this profession. Yeah. And, um, I've been in the, I've been in the clubhouse or the locker rooms or the meetings where coaches are venting their frustrations and their concerns about, like you said, sustainability. Uh, I really like to talk about that in this profession and career longevity and advancement and, uh, and, and what that, what those things look like for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I love that in this role, I can, I can work on those things on a daily basis and really try to lay a better foundation for, if not right now, these current generations, future generations to be better at that. Um, But from a family standpoint, does it give me a little bit more family time? I think uh, the, the last, I think it does, but it also gave us a global pandemic. So we all kind of have that right now. Um, I joked that, you know, I went from working, (laughs) you know, working in the office for a few months and I've been remote at the NSCA and, and, uh, with a a little bit of in and out of the office, but for probably longer than I was actually in the office. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, it's, I was like, man, this is like all the vacation time that I, for, 15 years in baseball that, that we never got, you know, it's like, like actually like get to stay home. And what's funny was, you know, we were moving from Texas to Colorado Springs and, uh, it was the few months that I was still in our house in Texas. Mm. I remember saying to Meredith, I go, I actually really like our house. Like I have never spent this much time at our house and we're already like listing it and like moving (laughs) out. I'm like, you know, so, um, 2020 came with some positives as well, I think on the family front. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I would say it was one of those things that like any career transition, there's a lot of thought that goes into it and a lot of, um, it's not, okay, I'm going to do this now. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's pros and cons Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I'm, I'm really happy with what I'm doing and I love supporting the coaching community, uh, and, and the values that we're talking about, the, uh, the, the values of this podcast, uh, really are, um, you know, that's important to me, Mm -hmm. uh, for our coaching community. And so I really, uh, I really like talking about it. Yeah. So I want to dive into your experience during COVID because obviously with four kids, um, you know, working at home remotely, having four kids being homeschooled during that time, um, that is a lot to manage. That's a lot of parenting taking place. Um, I'm sure a lot of, of coaching your kids uh, in a way taking place. 
So, you know, we had uh, Adam and Mary Kate fight on here and they were discussing how they homeschooled their kids during the quarantine as well. So if you don't mind, dive into a little bit of how you and your wife manage that situation, just kind of the logistics of it. Um, obviously, we, we discuss a lot about kind of as a parent balancing all of our time and managing all of our time throughout a day. But then when you add in a COVID uh, quarantine and all of the homeschooling that comes along with it, there's a lot more going on with that. But then I also want to dive a level deeper with that of what did that look like from your standpoint as a coach of what, what was that education like, right? What was the communication with your kids like during that? What was the communication with your wife like during that, right? And how did you guys manage that whole situation? So starting with the logistics of just how you guys manage that and are you guys still homeschooling the kids? As of right yeah. now, or, okay. Yeah, so we're we're finishing up the school year, uh, yeah. you know, and and I'll start this by saying I never once, you know, I've always been someone to think, you know, I went to public school uh, until I went to St. Lawrence, but uh, which was a private university, but uh, I always, as a parent, thought of you know the socialization uh, and just being around other people as really the one of the biggest things you take from going to school on a daily basis of meeting different people, different personalities, dealing with the struggles, the, the, the bullies, the, the, uh, you know, all the, all the things that happen, you know, in, in the, in the school, public school, private school, whatever. Um, I always really focused on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but got to the point. So we moved out here and, um, you know, I will say we had a great setup in Texas with great schools and, uh, the, you know, Colin was the only one in school at the time. Uh, and my daughters were in, uh, just doing some preschool stuff. Uh, and, and that was a great setup, but we had a really great first grade teacher for my son who was very dialed in on just all the technology and so it was a very when the pandemic hit and he was finishing up first grade remotely it was very seamless mm -hmm. and one of our fears and in, in so we're going to come out here and now we're getting into a new school new school district new city new home and uh and we just didn't have that comfort that we had of being in the same place and uh, knowing what we we're getting into. And fortunately, you know, my wife uh, studied education in college and, and has uh, just a great, um, great foundation there. And so she was really confident that she could, she could do that. Uh, and one of the things I thought was great was that, you know, uh, uh, my daughter, Amelia will be in kindergarten next year. And, uh, but essentially she was able to get a really great head start on that uh, essentially by starting, starting school a year early and going through um, just some of the materials and, and, and um, that I, at least from when I was in school, wasn't what I was doing in, uh, yeah, yeah. in preschool. Uh, I know things have changed a lot there. And even my daughter, Claire is like, she sees them working at the table and uh, you know, I, I will say our dining room is, it's got all like the numbers and letters and shapes. It's like, yeah. I mean, it looks more like a classroom that we eat in. Um, so, uh, you know, my daughter, Claire, three years old, and she's, um, you know, she's at the table too, doing, doing work, you know, mm -hmm. doing her homework or, 
you know, and uh, I think it's been, I think it's actually really, uh, it's pushed me out of my comfort zone. I, like I said, I'd never really saw us going that way, mm -hmm. but you know, there's going to be parts of it. I miss, you know, I, I, um, you know, one of the challenges of working remotely while homeschool is going on with four kids is, you know, <laughs> you have to really create a separation of, you know, work and home. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, I, uh, I've been doing a lot of my work in an unfinished basement that I've kind of turned into my little office podcast studio, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, one-stop shop for strength and conditioning here. Um, uh, but when I come downstairs, you know, I'm at work and I might be downstairs all day. I might, uh, come up here and there, uh, but just managing the workday and setting some boundaries around it. That was really, um, a challenge probably for a lot of people. Um, but I, just with the, all the moving parts we have, I thought that was, uh, that was something we really had to have a system, a system for, and, uh, you know, in, know where the productive times of the days are, we know when the nap times are, no, you know, it's like, I was, I was recording podcasts a lot of times when my daughters were taking naps yeah. so that they weren't pounding on the floor, you know, yeah. things, <laughs> things like, things like that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, some new challenges, but I, I'll, uh, I think there will be some, some things I miss, uh, the NSCA is going back into the office, uh, at least partially, mm -hmm. uh, here in the next, in the next few weeks. And, um, you know, I'm excited for that. I think it's really great for our staff to, to come back together, uh, in a, in a more formal way, especially in approach of national conference, uh, coming up in July. And, uh, but we've been really, uh, I think we've, I think what's allowed us to wait in coming back is that we've been able to do our jobs really well remotely. And, um, I think, so there's, there's lessons on the career on the, on the job front too, of, you know, we have a lot of great people that show up every day, whether they're actually there in person or, uh, just, uh, working from home. And I, I think it's been, I think it's been a really, um, educational experience. I think, uh, we, uh, we actually just enrolled the kids in a, um, in a charter school that opened up, you know, I was actually running, uh, on my lunch break that I, that I gave myself and I was running around the block and, uh, I went a different way than I usually do. And they were transitioning this charter school, um, to a new charter school that was, um, opening up hmm. and it's, uh, you know, just, some technology and arts, a STEM curriculum. And, yeah. and, uh, it was really, uh, really, in, really intriguing. Uh, and so we're, we're going to go that route in the, uh, in the fall. So we're already kind of getting our game face on for, for that transition. And that's really what it comes down to. You're always kind of transitioning and, you know, who knows, hopefully, hopefully COVID is on the way out and we are going to get back to some normalcy, but I think there will be some, um, some carryover of this. And I think just the, the amount of virtual that we've relied on and we're doing is, is, uh, it's really going to take us forward into some new things and help us communicate better. Yeah. Now you mentioned, uh, briefly there that, you know, you were able to learn a lot over the quarantine and kind of what you guys were going through. 
And it actually, I think this is the first time I've ever asked this question on this podcast, but if you don't mind diving into this, what have been some lessons that you learned from your kids throughout this process of being a father? You know, I, I you know, you brought up your son earlier when he's at the uh, Texas Rangers facility and you kind of have that moment where you're like, wow, like he probably had just has no idea how cool this actually is. Right. And so I think with young kids, we can learn a lot from their perspective sometimes and kind of how they view the world or how they see things. So, you know, you have four kids, you know, you've been a father for eight years. What are some lessons that you've learned from your kids? Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, you know, going into parenting, we, you know, I, I, grew up playing hockey and I had a kid on my team. His dad played in the NHL and I always really valued the approach his dad took. I'd see him in the stands. His dad would coach us up sometimes and do some, like some of the practices in youth hockey. So I knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but when we got to high school, you know, his dad, he, his dad wasn't the, the most involved from a yelling and screaming standpoint, or he wasn't, you know, uh, you know, he, he just, you know, he let his son play. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, not that I didn't have that, you know, I, my dad was very supportive of me and my, my family, but I always saw that as this is a guy who played at the top level of sport. And that's the approach he's taking with his kids that always lasted with me and uh so you think about that right like you know i played up i played a lot of sports multi-sport athlete you know i um i was always just filling my time and my calendar with whatever i could you know in any sport or activity that i could find but what you what you realize when you have kids is that their interests are they they're going to show you exactly what they're into you know like you don't have to over plan that or you know you know oh you know we always joke don't over coach you know yeah. well don't over parent either you know like don't don't say okay well he's got to get started on t-ball this year or else we're going to be behind by the time you know fourth grade comes around and little league you know it's like just you know see what they're into mm -hmm. and because I have four kids and, uh, well, so, you know, still learning the personality on, on, on the younger ones, but you know, the oldest two have completely different personalities mm -hmm. and, and I don't, you know, I would say sports in themselves, you know, this is my son grew up at the Texas Rangers ballpark is baseball, his life. Absolutely not. There's so many things that, that he's into. And I'm a hundred percent okay if he does something totally different than me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that's something that I, maybe I suspected, but that's what I think what kids teach you is that they teach you exactly who they are. And it's our job to listen, yeah. you know, it's our job to listen to that and uh, give them the best perspective to develop in the, the, in the way that they're meant to. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I like to think that if I got a hundred percent do over on all the major decisions I made, I might, whether they were good decisions or not, I might do something totally different just for the experience. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so I sort of take that to my, uh, to my kids too, is like, I want, I want to know what drives that. And, mm. and, uh, and I think as a parent, you know, we can leverage that into, you're really into this, but you should know this is a, this is something you're really good at too. Mm-hmm. This is a skill you have that maybe might push you another direction, you know, just cause we have a little more awareness to those things, but I don't want to, I don't want to steer too aggressively. I want to learn, you know, I want to learn, you know, this was a, I, I say that this profession for me, from a family standpoint, this is a great forum to talk about it. You know, this wasn't an easy career path to choose mm-hmm. the money. We don't get in it for the money. Yeah. We don't get in it for the at home family time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get in it for something else, you know, that, and it, for me, it was giving back that experience that I had as an athlete and empowering others to fulfill their goals and dreams, um, you know, on the field. So I always said it was a calling versus, versus something that, um, was just the ideal path that, you know, that I, that I would want, you know, everybody would want. Um, I accepted those struggles knowing, uh, in challenges, knowing, uh, what I wanted to accomplish. And I hope that's the one thing I hope for, um, for my kids is that they, they find that path and that calling that drives them Mm -hmm. because that's, that's powerful. When you have something that you can show up to every day and it's not work because you care so much about it. Uh, you know, that, that drives me. And I think that's, that's something the kids get, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of lessons. I, you know, I think as a parent, um, you know, I already said, you know, you're never really ready for all these things, you know, uh, there's always, um, there's always new challenges that come up and you, uh, but you just take them one day at a time. And I think that's part of the process, you know? Yeah. You know, on, on this podcast, we talk a lot about parallels between coaching and parenting. And I think you just brought a really interesting one up um, and, and I'll kind of just briefly go over my thoughts with it, but then I kind of want you to run with it and get your thoughts on it. You, you said that, you know, children are good at teaching you exactly who they are, right? It's our job to listen. And I feel like a lot of times it's the same way with athletes, right? I feel like sometimes with athletes, we try to put them into buckets or we try to, you know, maybe force a, a template of programming onto that athlete um, or to on a, on a group of athletes for that matter. And we don't really take into account the individual, but, you know, luckily in my experience, I've gone from collegiate into professional, I work with it in a much more individualized setting. And I I actually find it really similar, which is why that sentence kind of caught my attention of, you know, children teach you exactly who they are. And I think a lot of times athletes also teach you exactly who they are. Right. And as the coach, it's our job to pay attention to that and to find those individual strengths and weaknesses. Um, And I want to get your thoughts on that because you had a lot um, more experience in large group settings, working in the team setting, right. Working in major league. And so what do you think of that? And also, how do you then take that and then address it on the individual level? For example, you have four kids. If your oldest boy is, is kind of, again, for just the sake of generality, teaching you exactly what he's interested or expressing exactly what he's interested or exactly what he wants, 
you know, how do you address that on the individual level, as opposed to almost like this kind of group approach of coaching slash parenting? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the challenge. And I think I'd like to think with all of this emphasis we have on the soft skills of coaching and being better communicators, uh, that we're, it'll, we're getting, we're getting better at this. Yeah. Um, I will say, and sometimes I say this on, on topics like this, like we're largely in an awareness phase of what are, you know, our work with athletes, you know, that's been a stereotype or a negative stigma that's put on us that we're not that those great, you know, interpersonal communicators. We don't, you know, we're just the drill sergeants in the front of the room with the whistle barking orders. And that's, that's what we do. And that's who we are. And that's all we can do. And uh, I think as a field, we're battling that right now. The area we may be a little deficient is in the actual tools to, to do that other than in some, it's going to rely heavily on personality too. You know, some people are just really, uh, really, you know, empathetic, really, uh, you know, good listeners and can communicate really well. And others, uh, it's a challenge to, uh, separate you know, the, the program from the person a little bit more. And I think that that's something that, uh, we, we all have to work at because you're never going to figure it out and then get a new team. And it's going to be the exact same. It's completely ongoing. Yeah. And, uh, that's something that like, it's, that's essentially coaching, you know, Mm -hmm. teaching is coaching. Uh, you know, this is, in, in an interesting part to that, I was just in a conversation recently uh, with some coaching education groups, and it's there was a time, you go back to like the Vern Gambetta days and, you know, Boyd Epley, there was a time that strength coaches had physical education degrees. So it was grounded in pedagogy and curriculum and instruction and classroom management. Mm. Mm. That's an area that our generation of coach while we are very technically proficient has missed out on in a lot of ways. And so how do we bring that back? Maybe education programs aren't going that way where we're going to all be PE majors in the future, but how do we bring that curriculum back from a value standpoint that helps us be a little bit better on both of the fronts that that we're talking about here. Um, But the other, it goes the other way too, where, you know, I think of the professional setting where you have a lot of individuality, so much individuality at times that it can really uh, create challenges to what is your team program and your team approach. Yeah. Uh, and so there's always that balance there. And I think that's a struggle for us as strength coaches because we are so longitudinally thinking at times. You know, we go past this is is not just about this workout today. It's about the compounding of this workout over time in the mesocycle through the macro cycle over, you know, phase by phase. And this is going to create, uh, 
you know, neuromuscular endocrine response that's going to, you know, you were creating this anabolic em environment. So this is just this massive, you know, physiological puzzle that we're just trying to like, you know, fuel day by day and put one piece in uh, at a time. But athletes, and you think back to your athlete experience, we didn't think of it that way. Yeah. You know, um, athletes are very much uh, taking a hallway approach to their days. You know, they wake up, they go eat, they interact with, you know, the dining staff on campus. You know, if there's some sports nutrition or some sort of thing there that they take advantage of it, or they, you know, what they know or understand, they uh, go to class, yeah. they interact with their professors, they go to uh, the meeting room, they connect with their coaches, they go to practice, they go to work out. Every, every area has a different expert in their life. And so even it, it brings importance to what are these personal relationships, but also what are these personal relationships in the context of their entire day? Yeah. You know, as strength coaches, we might be one small piece of the pie, but as we know, when athletes are experiencing stress in other areas, they know that that piece of the pie can expand for them yeah. and be a valuable place for them, an outlet for them to blow off some steam, to just communicate and have a safe space where maybe their playing time isn't on the line or uh, they can communicate about uh, an injury maybe a little, or something bothering them that mm -hmm. um, they're a little nervous to, to, to communicate elsewhere. Uh, and they just have a little bit safer space with us. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful to what we do, but it really, uh, it's, that's coaching. It's yeah. so complex and, uh, and yeah, it's parenting too. Yeah. And again, I think, I think it's a huge parallel between parenting and coaching and the more and more parents uh, that I talk to, the more parallels you find between coaching and parenting. Right. Um, and I think that one, it's a very valuable lesson for, for coaches to be able to know that, right. And to be able to start to create those parallels as they're going through the process. Cause you know, I think there's a lot from parenting that you can then take back into coaching and then the opposite, right? A lot of lessons that you learn in coaching that you can take back to parenting in order to make that easier. You know, so we obviously find this, this bridge that is between both parenting and coaching um, on the teaching side, on, on kind of the conceptual side. I want you to dive into a little bit of what we uh, briefly brought up earlier of managing both of these buckets at the same time, you know? You brought up earlier that you are very passionate about the sustainability of this profession, about career advancement, about uh, furthering the field. And, and like we talked about briefly in that last question and answer was, you know, there are there is a little bit of a reputation strength and conditioning where, you know, we are still seen as the people with just the whistle, maybe playing the loud music, being the rah-rah people. But in in your mind, and now that you're working with the NSCA, what do you think we can do from a global level, kind of more of the macro level, to one, get a little more credibility behind the profession, 
which I think, and, and I ask you this tying this in because I think that brings more sustainability and more potential for career advancement whenever you can go down a kind of higher route throughout the profession, right? Or keep climbing up that ladder because strength and conditioning has more power within sport. Um, so if you don't mind diving into that one, uh, let, let's just start off with, with that general question. What can we do on the macro level um, in order to make this a more sustainable environment where balancing parenting and coaching becomes a little bit easier for families as they go through the profession? Yeah, you know, this is a, this is a great question because I think it's something that uh, it, it's full circle, right? It's like, you know, what are we doing in the profession that gives back? so much that it impacts the lifestyle and the longevity and sustainability of good family life, you mm -hmm. know, and, 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 um, those are, those are huge topics, you know, but speaking to just the field in ways that we can, you know, I, I feel like we can't be in this profession and not be advocates for this profession. Mm -hmm. and that's solely because we have a long way to go you know for these goals that you're talking about and like I said I, I always felt extremely fortunate that I didn't have to you know uh, jump around as much as some coaches uh, early early on and um, but that's not everyone's path and, and the other thing too, that, that happens to a lot of coaches, there's, there's a lot of attrition. There's a lot of burnout in this profession. I remember my first few years in, in the pioneer league up in Montana or my first two years there, there, there was, I was the only strength coach coming back both those years. It was a new crop of one year guys essentially. And, and that just speaks to the the pay and the, you know, the part-time nature of a lot of those positions at the time. Um, but things have improved a lot. Things have improved a lot within organizations. We have a lot of advocates. And I think one of the things I try to key in on in my role is recognizing not just the leaders and who have been the leaders, but who can be the leaders for us in the future that carry these values that we're talking about. You know, um, I, I, one of my favorite parts of this job and to anyone who ever wants to speak for the NSCA, I'm going to put a pitch out there, but one of my favorite parts of this job is when we're looking for content for the coaches conference or national conference or last year's advanced periodization, uh, virtual clinic, looking out into the field and finding out, you know, who are doing things that are truly unique and, and exciting, mm -hmm. um, whether they're sharing it or not, and just going to them and saying, hey, we see what you're doing. We would love to turn this into a talk. And if you're not a public speaker, let me work with you. Let's mm -hmm. work through this. And we'll give you a platform, whether it's get on a couple of podcasts, get, uh, get, go to a state regional clinic, and we'll get you ready for the big stage. Because I think this field needs 
leaders that carry the values of sustainability and and longevity. Yeah. And that's something that uh, I try to I try to really bring in uh, some new voices at times. Uh, but that doesn't take away from our, our existing voices because I think there's a lot of coaches out there that would have loved to seen more in their time, you know, seen more growth and advancement. And I like to revisit with those coaches as well and really ask, what are you seeing? What are you, uh, what are the trends? You know, maybe what have, what have we missed on? What are we missing? And, and try to bring that into some content too, because that brings some, another layer of perspective to things. Um, On speaking, I wanted to say this, you know, you know, we're both podcast hosts. Uh, I never thought I'd be one, but here we are. (laughs) And, uh, but I look at this, like, you're not, you, you know, you can't be in this profession. If you're not an advocate, you can't be in this profession. If you're not a public speaker, we all lead that 10 minute, dynamic warm-up every day we're barking out you know workouts in our weight room we're speaking to groups of athletes every single day parents uh you know other coaches uh we're involved in recruiting there's so many things where we have to be able to string together words in a polished way to communicate what we're thinking that is extremely valuable skill set for us as strength and conditioning coaches. And I think that is something that if we have that realization, we need more sharing. We need more voices. And that's what it goes back to. I'm really passionate about bringing more voices. Um, Like I said, I get excited when I find someone that hasn't shared before, we just didn't know about, and now they're going to present. But you know, on a proactive front, aspire to this, you know, aspire. I want young coaches to be so satisfied and, and happy with this career choice and profession, you know, and accepting of the positives and of some of the negatives and taking it forward even more when you get up and are presenting and sharing in the future. So I think that's a part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, here's another one. I think uh, we have not always been the most welcoming profession in general. Yeah. You know, this is a time we're talking a lot about diversity and inclusion, but this isn't, this goes beyond that. This mm-hmm. is, we all have these hor- horrific, like, weight room cleaning stories of like hauling, you know, the, all the plates from one side of the, universe to the other and repainting them and bringing them back and dusting you know it's like so we're weeding out we're weeding out our future leaders before they even really get an ex- great experience to coach yeah and to and and we need to know that there's no there's no just experienced coaches and uh and young coaches i think of it as you know current leaders in the profession and future leaders in the profession and when we if we're in a leadership role we should be thinking about how are we developing our young coaches through internships through education mentorship 
that empowers them to want more, to want more for themselves, to want more for this profession. And uh, I think when you develop that type of rapport, I think we all have those mentors. We all have those people that have really like, man, like I value that person as a, as a, as a family man or, or family woman. And, and I value that person as a coach, as a mentor, as a human being, what they bring uh, across all areas of their life. And uh, that's powerful. Mentorship is powerful. And I think just revisiting some of the, maybe, maybe we're better than now than we used to be, but it probably still goes on some places. Um, but that doesn't mean that your first year coaching should be a walk in the park either. You know, this is not an easy ride. Like we, we grind it out a little bit. And so, um, there's a balance there, but I think we need to be aware of that. So awareness, uh, bringing out better, you know, more communication in our fields, sharing, recognizing that, you know what, we haven't had it right the whole time. Uh, we're, we're, we're working towards that. Uh, and we're probably not going to figure it all out in my time either, you know, yeah. like it's going to keep going and, yeah. and I'm okay with that, you know, and, and, but I want whoever takes this next, this role for me to have that same drive to push it forward even more. So, yeah, I, I think you bring up a, an interesting point. And, and like you said, we've all heard those horror stories of, you know, people having to do just interesting, uh, long hour or kind of meaninglessly difficult tasks as interns, right? So like you said, are we weeding out some future leaders and some future promising coaches because we have this foundational approach of, okay, you have to know how bad this can suck, right? You know, what is our foundation of our education when we're bringing people into this profession? Is it about career advancement? Is it about making this a, a long career? Is it about making it a sustainable career? Or is it just about hard work all the time, right? Because like you said, there is a little bit of both, right? You have to be able to work hard. You should get a really good grasp of what it takes to to advance in this profession because this is going to be long hours. It's going to be long days, all that type of stuff, a lot of travel, right? But what is the foundation of that internship education, right? And if we can start to switch it to be about the things like we've talked about in this podcast, communication, okay, sustainability in your career, career advancement, right? And so can it be a better foundation where when we introduce people, they do know how difficult it is, but they also know that, okay, I know it's difficult, but here's also how to make it very manageable and to be a good coach along the way. And so I think that's a really important conversation that you're bringing up of, you know, what is that foundation of education? Are we talking about sustainability and career advancement? Or again, are we just talking about sets and reps, periodization, and then how hard the job can be, right? So I think there's a, maybe definitely a, some, some areas of improvement for that whenever it comes to the, to the young profession education. Um, I also want to want you to dive into that concept of career advancement, right? Because you but you went minor league, you were with an organization, the Texas Rangers for many years at all different levels. And now you're with the NSCA. And part of sustainability is career advancement is going uh, is climbing up the ladder, right? And, you know, sometimes that does require like we've like we've mentioned, it requires you changing positions and moving across the country here and there, you know, you lucked out where you're able to go through an organization, most of the time being in Frisco, Texas, but like you said, you were in Bakersfield for a little bit. 
So if you were, if you were going to talk to a young athlete, simply about career advancement, what advice would you give to that young, sorry, young coach, not young athlete. What advice would you give to that young coach in order to make sure that they're setting themselves up for a long road of success, not just get to the big school and, and, and get that on their resume, but a long road of success that can take them, you know, decades through the profession. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, I'd say on the, on the big bullet points on the front end, you know, you know, we talk a lot about education, getting, mm -hmm. getting your degree, uh, getting certified, getting your master's. Um, those are, those are themes that come up a lot. You know, you hear, oh, if you want to be a head strength coach, you need your master's. Well, do you need it to be a strength coach? You could debate that. But to work at an education institution, you might, you know, um, it's, there's value there. And I always say on those big ticket items, you know, you don't want to leave doubt in the first five seconds, someone looks at your resume, mm -hmm. that this person's not, not even in the game, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so to me, those big ticket items, I think you have to, I think you have to, you have to play the game at that point. You have to find the, the best uh, scenario for you to, uh, to get your education, to, yeah. uh, to get certified, um, whether you get a master's or not, find a great internship experience, and it might be multiple internship experiences uh, that actually empowers you for the field. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, in terms of opportunities, this is something I think about a lot, is that nowadays, I, I, you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm not quite 40, but, you know, you, 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 when you get older, you start saying nowadays. Nowadays you know? a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> nowadays, no. Um, you know, there's, at some point, we all say, hey, I want to be a head strength coach. Well, there's other jobs now. There's sports science. There's analytics roles. There's, um, there's people who have been assistants for 20-plus years. Yeah. There's uh, uh, administration roles. Uh, there's athletic director roles under performance. There's, um, there's people that go back to school and become uh, – you know, work in academia. Um, there's, there's more than one job at the end of strength and conditioning curriculum. And I think we today look at that. And I think the younger generation of coaches is more aware of that than maybe we were. Mm -hmm. And from a leader and mentor standpoint, I think we need to um, be aware of that as well. And it, it's, I remember. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but you know, if, if you don't want my job, I don't, you know, I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you here. You're like, if you don't want to be the head strength coach, then, you know, mentality yeah. is like, well, you know what? Like you might get some really great work out of someone that aspires to open their own facility or have yeah. uh, work in the private sector or, move into something else and use strength and conditioning as a vehicle to take us forward in a different way. Yeah. And that's into being welcoming, uh, maybe more than we have in the past. But I look at that of 
now that there are more opportunities, and this is a challenge I, I think we have at the NSCA, but as a field in general, where we rely so heavily on our network, right? Yeah. If you have someone, a, you know, a young coach that is looking at something that's not your bread and butter, know someone that, you know, push them to somebody that uh, can help them yeah. and that can teach them maybe some of the areas because strength and conditioning now is too big for, it's not just all head strength coaches are the same. We're all different. You mm -hmm. know, we all, you know, just by having the CSCS is, is the baseline, you know, uh, there's great speed coaches. There's great, you know, technical weight room coaches. There's Olympic lifting, you know, coaches that, that thrive in the, in that weight room setting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, the more functional progression based, you know, um, private sector or, you know, where you, where you see different coaches and, and different things going on. So I think there's so much variety that, we need to network that as well and also recognize, you know, who we are. And, you know, I know that I worked in professional baseball in the minor leagues for the majority of my career mm -hmm. without all the resources that a lot of major universities have. Yeah. And so my weight room experience is a lot different than a lot of other coaches in this field. We need that awareness. We need that awareness to what we are and what we're not and help coaches find, you know, who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, we can share our experiences, but that doesn't mean they have to be us. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's kind of how I look at opportunity. I think um, I want a coach to say what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, that's another thing I love when a young coach reaches out to me, um, you know, I, I know enough people in enough places that I may, I probably don't have the answer, but I know someone that, that does and I'll, and I'll, uh, and I'll share their contact with you and they're happy to, to reach out and share. And I think that's really valuable. And I, I think that goes to how do we build a better profession? We should all be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And I think there's a huge piece of that where you, you mentioned earlier, we haven't always been the most welcoming profession. Right. And I think, like you said, with the increase in strength and conditioning opportunities that there are, right. Part of being, I guess, welcoming is welcoming other perspectives, right. Or welcoming other um, career goals within your own strength and conditioning staff. Like you said, if you hire an assistant, just because they don't want to be a collegiate director one day doesn't mean that they're going to be any less of a, of a excellent assistant on that staff. Right. Like you said, they may want to go up in their own facility one day. Oh, that's, that's great. Right. What can you learn from that person? Then if that's their goal, can you learn something about business from them? Right. Can you learn something about marketing, which may enhance your social media department within your organization? Right. So I think like what you're saying, there's, there's so much to be, um, there's so much to be said about this, not, not even, you know, you mentioned diversity and inclusion, not of just the individual and who they are, but also ideas and mindsets and thoughts, right? And so I think with a lot of young coaches nowadays, you know, I think young coaches have this broader view of the profession, right? And so then what can older coaches, and honestly, what can organizations like the NSCA learn from those younger coaches of, okay, where is this profession heading? 
right? Is it, is it about being more diverse and maybe getting professional experience and collegiate experience and then private experience and not just being on one road your entire time where you want to just stay in college the entire time, right? So what does that look like? And, and to me, I think that's, I think that's what career advancement is all about, right? I think it's going away from the traditional model of I'm going to get in one organization and climb the ladder to, okay, how can I advance into better opportunities that afford myself the ability to sustain the family life and to sustain the professional life as I go down this really general term of strength and conditioning coach, right? Because it fits so many more, uh, buckets nowadays than it did in the past. And so I think that's a, it's a really, really excellent point. And I kind of want to just end it on, on one question for you. And I guess that would be in your role currently with the NSCA, what can the, or, or what is the NSCA doing in order to address that and, and enhance the career advancement opportunities to make strength and conditioning a more sustainable profession? Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's that's really great. I I would say that the number one thing we're doing now is engaging in these conversations that uh, that bring awareness to these key issues. Um, you know, we bringing a broader and more diverse voice mm-hmm. uh, to the NSCA. One thing I like to I, I like to share this. Uh, you know, the NSCA is not the 55 people working here in Colorado Springs. It is every single one of us. And, you know, we are, uh, we are here to support the coaching community. And there are so many, I mean, our best resources are out in the field right now. And so I think one of the big initiatives that the NSCA has, has, has moved toward, um, and, and my role speaks to that is, uh, basically, uh, dedicating audience managers and, and individuals that are embedded coaches from the coaching community in the building mm-hmm. and in conversations that I never thought I'd have in my life of, yeah you know, everything from education programs to, uh, to marketing, to event planning. This is, you know, it's a huge uh, uh, gain for us to have these resources in the building. And um, I like to, you know, you know, I can share my experience, but I think, you know, one I try to get on the phone and talk to as many coaches as I can because what's fresh in your mind, those conversations of, you know, just from the day before, you know, when you're sitting in that marketing meeting or that, uh, you know, education department meeting or, or you're planning programs, that perspective from all the voices you're hearing uh, in, in my role, that's extremely valuable to me. And, uh, and I try to deliver that as the voice of the coaching community internally. So that, so that people without our, our experience, you know, they, you know, we have a number of experts, you know, in all of these individual departments that aren't strength and conditioning coaches, but they're bringing something else to us and they work for our coaches as well. And, uh, I just love that 
I'm in a position that I can help steer uh, the content in, towards the coaching community, from the coaching community, uh, but also, and, and I talk about this a lot, is remembering you know, where this organization came from and being the voice of that. I love how grounded we are right now with, uh, with our tactical audience managers, our, uh, you know, we have Leanna with personal training and, and myself in coaching and sports science. And, uh, it's a, it's a growing initiative with the NSCA to, to have, um, coaching voices in the building and, uh, and yeah, but we can't do it without, you know, all you guys. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a huge initiative. It's a huge challenge, but just know that you have people that care about Mm -hmm. not just you in the weight room, not just you, uh, paying your membership or your certification. You know, we care, uh, I care about your family. I care about your, um, you know, your kids growing up, uh, and, and, and to whatever profession they go into, and just having a great example of parents that uh, that a little bit came from our craft of strength and conditioning. I think that's that's uh, that's really motivating for me. Is that to make this career path a positive vehicle for the world as a whole? Yeah. And I think um, I think that when we're talking about kids and family, nothing nothing hits home more than those than than that for us. And so. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I love to hear that. And, and like you said, it's, it's about the importance of conversation and sharing these stories, sharing these perspectives. And you said it earlier, right? You can't make a better profession if you're not advocating for the profession, right? So it's up to us coaches to make sure that we're consistently trying to make this a better profession. Um, and, and like you said, it's the importance of conversations. And with that, I'd like to thank you for coming on and having this conversation today. Uh, this was awesome. It was great hearing your perspective as a veteran strength coach, a longtime father, you know, somebody who had to homeschool and take care of four kids through COVID. Uh, you've done a lot. You've been through a lot. And I really appreciate you sharing the perspective. I also appreciate you sharing what the NSCA is trying to do in order to make this more sustainable. And, and I love the coach outreach. Uh, I love the concept of just thinking, okay, we have to make this we have to make this a better profession by channeling the people outside of Colorado Springs that are across the country coaching and, and, and taking part in the day-to-day uh, duties of being a strength conditioning coach. So Eric, thank you so much for coming on this podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, it was great to have you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it and keep it up, man. This is a great podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone for listening.